All right. <clears throat> I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start out talking about the gospel, and this will tie into our study a little bit too. Man, I wish I had time to really go through this. There's a lot of really deep stuff in here, but we're going to just kind of run over it just to talk about the gospel. So Ephesians 1, starting in verse 1, says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And that's interesting. We've, we've studied the will of God, so we always, I hope you guys are starting to recognize when you see, when it talks about the will of God, is this God's decreed will? Is this God's permissive will? And, start, and these kind of things start rolling through your minds. He says, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we see the Trinity. Well, we see two members of the Trinity. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which we freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to ad administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is giving as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So here, Paul, he's talking, one of the, a little bit of a clue in how to, to exposit a biblical passage is the first two verses, and especially a lot of Paul's letters, is so important so we can look and we can see who is this addressed to. That's one of the first questions that we always want to ask, and that helps us with context all throughout the entire book. So if you ever run into something um, that you're struggling with in a certain book of the Bible, it's always helpful to flip back, usually to the first couple of verses, and look and see who it's addressed to. And a lot of times that'll clear up some of the some of what's going on. But what Paul's doing here is he's just exhorting God, and he's thanking God, and he's reminding us that God is sovereign. Not only is God sovereign, but he loves us. And not only does he love us, but he became one of us. He came, he spilled out his blood for us because of his grace that he says was freely bestowed on us. And one of the things that 
that this continues to tell us over and over again, and I don't know if you noticed how many times that it talks about being in him or being in Jesus. And this is one of the things that, that I always try to, to call attention to because whenever I say that the gospel is the ocean that we swim in, you know, that's, that's something that I, the reason I say that is because of the type of language that we're reading here, that we're in Christ. It's like we're being submerged into him. So everything around us has changed. Our, our entire environment, the way we see the world is different. We live in a, we, we realize that we're strangers in this land. We're only passing through this world whenever it used to be so appealing to us. Our flesh was so drawn to different aspects of this world. Now we're in Christ and this world begins to, to look ugly to us, right? And the things that look good, the things that look amazing are the things of heaven, the things of God, the things that God is telling us, the promises that he's given us. And so that's, you know, we begin to not lay our treasures up on earth, right? But instead we're, we're seeking to lay our treasures in heaven. And that's one of the things that we're doing. And, that, and so Paul's reminding us of not only who we are, but how that we became saved through his blood, as it talks about in verse 7. It was through Jesus Christ's blood, because he became a, a man. He took on the nature of man, right? in order to come and to live as one of us, obey the law perfectly for us in our place, and then die for us in our place as a substitute, because we should have been the ones nailed to the cross. We deserve God's wrath. But Jesus Christ came and took God's wrath for us so that we could be saved and we could stand before God one day as being blameless and being holy being in Jesus Christ. That's why that when we stand before God, we're not standing there just naked, like, like people that are lost, just standing there on their own. We're still in Christ. So when God looks at us on Judgment Day, when we're standing before Him, He sees Jesus. And that's what's so amazing about the Gospel. That's what's so amazing about the Gospel, about what Jesus Christ did for us. And so this is, um, this is a, a really good good section of scripture. I always like to call a couple of things out. I could spend, I mean, to exposit this scripture would take a month, right? Mm -hmm. But we see certain things in here that we've been studying. We see the will of God, how that the will of God, we see that a couple of different times. We see the Trinity. We see God the Father. We see Jesus Christ. We see the Holy Spirit over here in, um, in verse 13. So we see the whole Trinity. It's always good for us to start kind of seeing these things and piece them together, and the things that we've been talking about in this class. I think that's helpful. But the, the most important thing is that we understand the gospel, because it really is the ocean we swim in. We're in Christ, so everything that we're learning has to, to be rooted in that. If, if, we, if we're talking about something outside of the gospel, and the gospel isn't a part of it, you know, we can get into all kinds of trouble, right? Because we belong, we, we are in Jesus Christ. So the way that we see things is different. The way that we see things is through Jesus Christ, right? Through the gospel and all that he's done for us. And the amazing work that he's done for us. Any thoughts on that or, or questions? I know there's probably a ton of questions on this section of scripture, but there's some really good stuff in there. But as far as about the gospel, um, is there anything you guys want to talk about or just thank God for it? 
have to, gosh, I'm going to talk too much. I'm going to try not to. <laughs> a lot of times we see that Christ is a proxy for our wickedness. But we forget now we have become a proxy for his righteousness. And I think that's the best part of the gospel is what we not only was taken away, but what we get. And to stand in that, I think, is, as you say, amazing. I am righteous. Uh, that's a tough one to get out of my mouth, but it happens to be what Scripture says. I know. That's a good point. Yeah, and it's amazing here where it talks about us being sealed with the Holy Spirit sealing us. That's showing our assurance of salvation. That's something that is, is so comforting to know that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and that He is the one that guides us in Jesus Christ. And so we're not ever going to be lost. Once we're in Christ, we belong to God. And that's, uh, that's so amazing. That's such a good a good thing for us to some, to be reminded of because it's easy to, you know with all the crazy stuff happening in the world <laughs> um, it's so easy to just get caught up in all the bad news when there's such good news there's such good news just read the Bible <laughs> it's just full of good news you know that's one of the things that I often tell my parents you know they're they're all, a lot of times down and kind of gloomy and I'm like you guys watch Fox News way too much <laughs> <laughs> You know, so we could also focus too much on our own depravity. I think you know that mm -hmm. we know the darkness of our heart like no other human being does, and, um, and the enemy loves that. I'm sure because he wants that to be our identity because it used to be. Yeah, but uh, no more. If we if we can remember, we can dwell on the fact that we're in Him. Yeah. then the rest kind of falls away and we're free not to be slaves of sin. Mm -hmm. yeah, so. That's right. That's right. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's easy. That's something that I'm guilty of. I, I, I focus on my own depravity probably way too much. <laughs> that's something that's easy for us to do. Um, so let's jump back into our study. We've been going through the immutability of God. I believe we're on page... <coughs> 76. And just as a reminder, because we missed last week, um, no, we're on page 75, I'm sorry. 75? Yeah, we're on page 75. Mm -hmm. um, last week we began talking about how that God is immutable, and that actually magnifies Him. Uh, we talked about how that He is without passions, and sometimes it's easy for us to make God out like we are, but really that's a very low view of God. And so what we've been trying to do is show that God, has, He's much higher than, than that. He's much higher than a passionate God, right? Because a passionate God is one that wavers, right? He's passionate and then He's not. Um, our God isn't that way. Our God is 100% all the time. He's 100% love, 100% mercy, 100% grace. And he's at all time at a maximum. If you're at a maximum, you can't. There's no room for passions, right? You're perfect. You're perfect, 100% perfect perfection. The only way that you can have passions is if you're not. If you're imperfect, and then your passions can drive you. you your love can increase, and you can, and it can cause you to react, right? 
whether positively or badly. So we've, we talked about that last week, but I just want to reiterate that one of the, the purposes of this class is for our view of God to increase and us to shrink, right? So the more that we see God and we see how amazing and awesome He is, we should have a much higher view of Him, right? And that's what we're trying to do is to, to see who He truly is and have that high view of God and to have a lower view of man. And that gives us the right view, right? <coughs> and that helps us to marvel that a God that is perfect and amazing would die for a creature who's unworthy, right? And so it just it magnifies our appreciation for what it is that Jesus Christ did for us. And it's amazing the, the type of love that overflows onto us, as Brandon talked about in his message today, about how the God and how the God, he is the perfect example of what love is for each of us. So, and that's an amazing thing. So that's one of the things that we talked about uh, last week. And now we've got to, on page 75, God is unchanging in his word. And so this is just to, to really help us to be more secure and to help us to, to be reassured that God isn't going to change his mind on anything. We've talked about this a couple of times, but I'm hoping this kind of drives it home. So the, the first point here says, this is why the Bible is for every generation and every culture. The Bible is God's perfect, sufficient, inerrant word to mankind for all of earthly time as well as all of eternity. It will never change. It cannot fail to come to pass. This is one of the, the things that a lot of churches have tried to do. Um, there's different movements recently, the last 20 years, that have come in and try to say, well, let's make the Bible relevant to the culture. Let's make the Bible relevant to the times. And so they begin to try to add to it or take away from it. They don't want to offend anybody. They want to attract people. So they start changing things, and pretty soon, you know, their whole idea of, well, let's get them all here so we can save them, um, that kind of backfires on them because once you get them all here, you have to keep them the same way that you got them, right? You have to keep entertaining them. And you can't tell them truth because that drives them away. And so they become apostate. And we've, we see, we've seen that in churches again and again and again. Churches that refuse to stand firm and fixed on the Word of God, no matter what society says, no matter what the news says, no matter what anybody says, we're going to stand firm on God's Word. And it's not, we're not going to be, we're not going to be blown by every wind of doctrine, right? Or by society, or by the times, or trying to be relevant, and all these different things. Because God's Word is unchangeable, and it's unchangeable in the way that it impacts human beings' hearts, too. I mean, God is the one that saves us, right? He's the one that died for us. There's, there's nothing that we can do to improve upon God's Word. We can't do it because it's perfect. His Word is perfect. It's unchangeable, and that's a good thing. So we don't, we don't need to fall into that because um, it's, it's, it's everywhere today, um, that idea that, that we need to be relevant somehow and change things and maybe not focus so much on theology and doctrine and the gospel, but instead let's talk about things that are moralistic. Let's talk about things that are therapeutic. Alright? That's what so many churches are doing today. But we don't want to do that. We're gonna that's why that it's so good at the, the re, one of the main reasons that I picked this church 
was because we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. That's the way to do it, guys. That's the way to do it, verse by verse. Because just like we've seen with Brandon, he's got to he's got to teach it. When you when you get to it and it's in the Scripture, whether he wants to teach it or not, he's got to. It forces us to teach the things we don't want to teach. It forces us to talk about the things that we know is going to be controversial. So, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing, right? Very good. Uh, who wants to read Numbers twenty three nineteen? God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? And this was all the way back in Numbers. So we can see here that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. He's even challenging us here. <laughs> he's challenging us here. And this was in Numbers, and we can, we can look all through Scripture, every book that's been written after that, and we can see God's faithful, God's faithful, God's faithful, God's faithful. Man is not. <laughs> How many stories is there of man failing God, of whole, of Israel failing God, whole nations? You know, we see again and again the unfaithfulness of man. And the faithfulness of God. He just keeps on going because he's going to do what he says he's going to do. We're not going to change his mind no matter how, mu how much that we keep on messing up and sinning against him and, and all the, the bad decisions that we make because we know that we do. God doesn't say, oh, I'm done with them, right? He, he just keeps being faithful to us. He keeps being faithful to us. And that's amazing. That's amazing. We can see that. Who wants to read Psalm 119.89? Okay. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. How long is forever? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question to ask, right? How long is forever? Yeah. That's, a good, that's good for us to know. So the next point says, The laws of man change, but the word of God remains the same. Isaiah 47 through 8. Who wants to read that? The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Stands forever. This goes back to what we talked about two weeks ago, um, about how that if every person in the world could come together and agree on one topic and it was against what it is that God has spoken that God would not change his mind right we're not we're not able to to sway him because he's already made a perfect decision everything that he's done perfect right so we're imperfect creatures and sometimes we wanna to say well God I don't think I would have done it that way <laughs> mm, you know that's that's not ever a good thing, but we all think that sometimes. I think there's all there's a, there's a, if you haven't thought it, you probably will at some point. <laughs> I don't think I would have done it that way, but that's because we're imperfect, right? We're mutable, we're changeable. God is not; He's perfect in everything He does. We we don't always see the wisdom, at least in the moment. But what's so amazing about God is the longer that we're faithful to him the longer that we're in Christ as we talked about in Ephesians um, a lot of times we can look back on things and we can find wisdom there right I mean how many times have you guys gone through things that you just didn't see the point of it 
And then years later, you could look back and you could say, wow, I can really see God working in this. I can see how God was faithful. He, he kept me. He preserved me. And I saw the work that he was doing, even though it was much later, right? So we can see these type of things. Matthew 5.18, who wants to read that? For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. That is um, very reassuring to us because imagine if God were like us and he was passionate and he was angered, you know, by something that we did and, and he changed his mind about us. We wouldn't have any assurance of salvation. We wouldn't have any assurance that Jesus was coming back. We wouldn't have any assurance of these things. But we know that because God's word is unchanging, that even the smallest letter or stroke it talks about here, in every little detail, every Bible prophecy, every promise that God's made, everything that he's decreed and said and willed, it will, it shall come to pass. And so that's, um, that's reassuring for us. That's very reassuring. And it should be, should be something that drives us. So I've got a few questions here. Um, the way of salvation we know will never change. And so the question is, what is the only way we can be saved? I'll throw you guys an easy one. Hmm. Jesus. Jesus. That's a perfect answer. <laughs> That's right. Well, we are in church. So. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, we may get a different answer somewhere else, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and also we, know, we understand that God's standard for our lives will never change. So the next question says, how do we know the standard of God, what God's standard is, in other words, for our lives? How do we know that? The Bible. Exactly. Exactly. And so the next point here is that God's standard for the family will never change. There's an intention here that I threw that because of some of the things that we've been going through as society. So the next question says, what is God's standard for the family? And a woman, one man, one woman, God at the head, and then be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And in that order, too, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, that's the standard for God, for the God's standard for for the family. That's right. Is one man, one woman. I mean, that's that's biblical. Yeah, that's something that even churches are trying to, to change today. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that's a scary thing. One man, one woman for life. Right. For life. And that's. Um, that's showing that unity. It's showing the unity that a man and a woman has is, as Christ is our perfect example of unity and love. Um, we are perfectly united to Jesus. We're perfectly united to Christ. And this is just a little shadow of that in marriage, right? That a husband and wife is united perfectly for life. 
right? That's that's God's standard, and it has and it's a, and then to have to you're right when you're married to have children and to multiply. That's that is God's standard, and also to raise them in a godly manner, right? To raise them in the church, to teach them about God, to teach them the ways of salvation, um, to teach them who God is. Um, that's something that has also began to kind of be eased up on in the church, especially the last hundred years. Um, the last hundred years, uh, I think people have become kind of lazy and they've turned their kids over to youth pastors and children's pastors and they say, well, I don't have to disciple my kids anymore. You know, that's for the church to do. The church is supposed to disciple my kids and I don't have to do that anymore. That's not God's standard. God's standard is for us, for the parents, to disciple the kids. All the church is doing is supporting that. The things that that the that, that the, the kids learn in church should be just reinforcement of what their parents have already taught them, right? That should, that should be the way that it should work. That way they don't just hear it from dad, right? But they hear it from dad, and then they go to church, and they hear it from, from Brandon, and they hear it from Titus, and they hear it from Rick, and they hear it from different people that reinforces that what they're learning is true and right and then they see it in scripture right that's the standard of God that's what that's what God's standard is for the family is there anything else yeah I think you make a point there that puts another responsibility though on the church and that is to properly disciple the parents yeah because too many parents are left where they cannot disciple their children and that is the responsibility that the church has lost yeah yeah that's true because now we want to come home and watch TV instead of study our Bibles, right? We want to come home and just, we want to turn the world off and get get out of reality and uh, turn our minds off and just be entertained. It wasn't that way a hundred years ago, right? And all the 2,000 years before that, um, people would come home and they would spend their time studying the Bible together as a family uh, and using their minds, engaging, thinking about things, meditating upon the Word of God, right? That's an important thing to learn how to meditate on the Word of God. And when we talk about that, it's the opposite of what the world says. The world says to meditate is to empty your minds, right? The Bible says to meditate is to fill your mind, to fill your mind of the things of God and to roll those things around in your mind constantly, right? That's what meditation is. So that's so important for us to understand. Anything else? There's some, you guys have some good comments here. All good. So one last question here. It says, and this is a tougher one, if God's word never changes, why does the civil and ceremonial law no longer apply? But the lessons from those things and the principles that God was teaching are still relevant. They were looking forward to Christ. Also, it was to show people that they needed a Savior. They couldn't do it themselves. And that they needed to look to the promise that God had given them to remain faithful until it was fulfilled. Yeah. Yep. But I mean, it's, uh, it's not as though that the lessons involved disappeared. I mean, you know, it's yeah. still relevant for us today to look at those things and learn from them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they show us something, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. They reveal about God, for one thing. Yeah. 
definitely. Yep. Book of Hebrews goes into great depth as to how Christ's fulfilling the ceremonial law and even now as our high priest intercessing on our behalf. That he's superior to angels and priests and mm -hmm. all other beings. So yeah. it's not like you were saying, it's not that it's irrelevant, but it's that he fulfilled it so well. What he, what he promised came to pass. That's is our assurance. You know, that's a we talk about witness. That should give us great comfort and assurance that when God promises something, there's nothing that keeps Him from fulfilling it. That's right. That's right. So make sure I'm on base because I think I was off base for a second. You're talking about the Jewish civil and ceremonial laws. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The this yeah in the the. Exactly, in the Old Testament, basically. No, I'm talking about the Old Testament. <laughs> not part of God's word quite yet. <laughs> yeah, well, not at this church. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Those are some good points, though. Um, we know that. I think I think that you guys made some good points. We know that, that Christ perfectly fulfilled every ceremonial and civil law, right? And so what it does is it helps us to go, it causes us to go back and read those things, and we do learn from these things because every every word in the Bible is is God breathed, and there's a reason we have it. And so every single word, even even when you're going through uh, Leviticus and some of those like that, every word is God breathed. And so there's a lesson in that, and every lesson in the Bible points us toward one thing. And what is that? <laughs> Christ. That's right. And so when we start, have you guys ever went through? We went um, the one of the churches that we went to back in Jonesboro. They did the Seder every year, and they did it. They didn't do it as legalism they did it as a learning lesson and so it was really cool and i really would like to go through it again because uh, the, he he pointed out how that every single little tiny detail pointed to something about christ in the seder it was absolutely amazing when you start seeing all these things you know and how that it all pointed to jesus and every one of the laws um when we look at the sacrificial system, it's all pointing to Christ. When we see the scapegoat, right? That they put the blood on the scapegoat and let the scapegoat. That's a picture of us that our sins was placed upon Christ and taken far from us, right? So there's all these points uh, that all point to Jesus. So there's so much things that we can learn. But we understand that he's the one that fulfilled them all, so we are no longer obligated to do these things. And there's so many churches, there's movements today that say that we do. And they're, they're, they're local, they're, they're here. Yeah, they well, Mike, you make a good point in even asking this question. Uh, because if we think that we need these Jewish laws, then we're saying that Christ was insufficient in fulfilling them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which yeah. is blasphemy. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's that is a perfect point. And also, this question too is: there are those who say that the Old Testament is 
done away with, no longer applies. Well, obviously that's been answered that, you know, we have to have it. We, we can't understand God we, we fully. We can't see his plan if we do away with the Old Testament and just with the new. We're, we're left with a void. Yeah, that's right. We don't really understand the true sacrifice of Christ. Yeah, and how... how God is, yeah. You know, that's one of the things I've had people ask me about, especially when you start reading some of the big um, sacrificial ceremonies that they have, where they, they sacrifice thousands and tens of thousands of animals, and there is literally rivers of blood running. And, you know, I've had people say, well... You know, that's so ugly and gross and, you know, that's that's just nasty, you know. And why would God do that, you know? Why would he have him kill all those animals? And, and my, my answer to that is always, well, this is the way that God sees your sin. It's ugly. It's even uglier than that. That's the point, right? That's the point. It is ugly in the sight of God. And so... It took Jesus Christ to come, which was even uglier, the Son of God <laughs> becoming a man and His blood being poured out for our sins. It's just what you thought. I just was thinking, it's not as though God took the life of that animal. They had to sacrifice. Just like with us, we have to admit our sins. We have to be the one who decides to put it far from us by letting God work in our lives and change us, yeah. just like them. That, that must have been really hard, this pure little animal, and you kill it. Especially mm -hmm. like in Egypt, where that animal was in their house <clears throat> for a while, mm -hmm. and then you put it to death, and it's just, yeah. yeah. That yeah. gets right to the heart of the matter. <laughs> it really does, it really does. Any other comments or thoughts before we move on? It's good. It's good stuff. All right, on 76, God is unchangeable in his plans. So the first point here says there's no plan B with God. <laughs> no plan B. God doesn't need a plan B, right? Who wants to read Psalm 33, 10 through 11? Okay. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. From generation to generation. That's right. We're never too far removed from Scripture, are we? Never. Who wants to read Proverbs 19, 21? Many, oh, Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord stands. This reminds me of um, your life is, is nothing but a vapor, and why are you making plans for tomorrow? You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. Where's that at? I, it just slipped my mind. I don't know. It sounds great. I'm sure it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> The Bible. It's, it is in the Bible. It is in the Bible. That's not a direct quote, by the way. Um, but it, that reminds me, you know, that our lives is, is just a vapor. It's a mist. And, you know, we, we want to make all these plans about tomorrow. We have all these plans in our hearts, and we don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring because we're, we don't know the future. 
Um, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We can make plans all day long, but those plans may come true or they may not. And that's depending upon the way that, that God allows them or not allow, allows us life to continue or allows these things to come into to fruition or, or whatever. But um, when God makes plans, um, there's nothing that's ever going to change that. Right, his 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 plans are unchangeable. They're perfect. His counsel is going to stand, and everything that he says is going to stand. Um, and so that's that's something again that's so important for us to to be able to lean on, especially when we're going through hard times and things that are difficult. Right, because we know the promises of God. James four fourteen. Yes. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Yep. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. Yeah, uh, thanks for finding that. Yeah, that's what I was trying to think of. <laughs> I almost got it right. <laughs> I, I was going to say that very verse. <laughs> I have a concordance. <laughs> I need to get one of those. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Isaiah 14, 26 through 27. Jacob, you want to read that one? This is the plan devised against the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out against all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? Mm. Yeah, this is kind of frightening in, a, in, a, in some ways, isn't it? Because we, we know that it's very comforting that God doesn't change his plans, but there's another side of that, isn't there? And that's that it can be frightening to people that are lost, people that are outside of God. Um, yeah, so this is something, this is one of the, those verses that should help drive us, of course, to, to share the gospel with people. Um, to let them know that God's hand is outstretched against them. Um, we're either in Christ or, his, in, or we're his enemy. That's scary, to be an enemy of God. Um, to think that that um, if we're outside of Christ, that um, that His hand is uh, is not for us, toward us, but against us, and so um, yeah, that's that's something that should wake us up, I think, and help us to to want to help people and to share the gospel with them and to to tell them about Jesus Christ, that they can be. Love, they can be in Jesus Christ as we are, and they wouldn't have anything to fear. <laughs> they would have nothing to fear in Christ. That's what these organizations that teach well. If you die and you haven't accepted, you'll still have another chance. That means God didn't do it right to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. That He was unable to reach them, mm -hmm. and it's got to go on and on until <coughs> finally He can convince them. Finally, you talk them into it. Yeah, you know. You're talking about like purgatory. Whatever these organizations think that it's supposed to look like. Some, yeah. think, you know. Some think that you'll literally be shown heaven and hell and be given an opportunity. Oh, yeah. Some universalist Christians. Yeah. 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 
unless you're really, really, really bad, you mm -hmm. won't go to hell. You'll just be at the lowest, you know, kingdom. Yeah. And then there are those, you know, he said, well, yeah, you may not have chosen, but we've got ways of getting around that. We will do it for you, and <laughs> we'll you just have to accept them. We'll baptize somebody after you're dead. <laughs> we'll just pay yeah. enough money, pay pittance for you, yeah, and yeah. say some prayers, and make some offerings, mm -hmm. and, you know. Yeah. And we'll make it work for you. You, you don't really have to worry. Mm. <laughs> Well, yeah. the problem with those philosophies is who isn't really, real bad? <laughs> and if you're totally deprived, you can't get much lower than that. Well, people just don't realize, you know, we're all sinners. We form to sin nature, and unless we choose God, that's what we're going to be. And yeah. But they, they, just they, they think they're not as bad as a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not as bad Hitler as Hitler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the degrees of badness. You know? Yeah. Sin is not really sin. Yeah. It just depends on how bad you do things. Yeah. Then it becomes a sin. <laughs> well, they don't even, the concept of sin doesn't really, for if your eyes are veiled, That's right. sin is not, it's not sinful to them. Yeah. It's not really bad. I'm, I'm, I'm a nice person. I'm a good person. I'm not <coughs> sinning. I mean, yeah. they don't look at it that way. It's, right. They don't even <laughs> well, register. Society really helps with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we invent <coughs> all these nice words that don't sound so bad, like yeah. an affair. Yeah. You know, and call it an affair rather <coughs> than what it really is. Yeah. You know, we're healthcare. Right. Mm -hmm. I felt you know, that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, that's why I like I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but, you know, some simple basic things that everybody can relate to, whether you've lied, whether you use God's name in vain, right. and whether you've lusted. Yeah. I mean, you know, he doesn't go into anything else, because right. everybody's done that. And yeah. you've broken the law. Yeah. 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 And somebody's got to pay for it. So <laughs> it, mm. it's either you accept Christ or you pay for it yourself. <laughs> Those are good points. Yeah. You don't hear people walking around calling themselves a sodomite, do you? Yeah, Unitarianism, what you brought up, the universalism from the Unitarian Church, They, some of those guys even believe that Satan will be redeemed. Oh, yeah. They believe that Satan, he's going to go to hell just for a season. Um, but he's going to be redeemed in the long term. So that, that's that's that universal, like everybody universally will eventually be saved. It just may take some longer than others. And that's not too far from even purgatory, right? Purgatory is kind of similar that you're going to a, a place um, of waiting and you kind of have to work your way to heaven, right? It's based on your works. Like you have to, you have to improve and get better, you know, until you've made mit, you've, you've made penance for, um, um, or your relatives are still on earth do it for you. Yeah, they can pay for you. Yeah. They can give you money or give give money to the Roman Catholic Church, and then God will. Yeah, so you can buy your way to heaven. Between the fifteen and seventeen hundreds, I can't remember the years exactly, but there was a time when if people stole what they lied or anything. They had to wear a sin saying uh, sign saying what they did and they had to wear that. That was their pence. Your scarlet so letter. Many <laughs> if we were really doing that. We'd be able to move. <laughs> yeah. How many sins, you 
know, it's like, do you went on this one? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody get me a wagon. Yeah. Well, yeah. the universalist, like everything else, you know, liberal theology, all that, keeps getting repackaged and handed to a new generation as if it's something new. Yeah. You know, yeah. like Rob Bell, Love Wins. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, um, yuck. It makes my skin crawl. Yeah, and, and he's not even a pastor. I don't think he even claims to be a Christian anymore. Oh, really? I don't, from what I understand, I know he left being he left the ministry entirely. Now he's completely gone, <laughs> which is good. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he so did a lot of damage already. He did a lot of damage, but I think he, you know, I don't think he did a lot of damage to the true church. I think he did a lot of damage to those itching ears, you know, those ears that want to hear those things that don't really want to know the truth. Uh, that's the purpose that they, they serve. Yeah. Is that they show people what people shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. They have a great Yep. That person. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, those are good points. All right. Next point here says if God ever changed his plans, it would mean that his first plan was not perfect, and neither would he be. And I think that's an important thing for us to understand that if you if God is perfect then his plans are going to be perfect if if God has an imperfect plan then that would show that he has room to grow right if he has room to grow he's not perfect so that's it's so it's so good for us to to to, to meditate on some of these things and understand them in this uh, next quote from Charles Hodge I made a mistake uh, a typo that word exhausted is <laughs> supposed to be exalted <laughs> not exhausted exalted um, Nikki would you read that quote from Charles Hodge yeah as in finite and absolute being self-existent and absolutely independent God is what did you say Richard? exalted exalted above all the causes of and even above the possibility of change yeah hmm. yeah this has a very high view of God. It's a very high view of God that He is so infinite, and 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 His being is so absolute that He's beyond being able to change. He's He's far beyond the the ability to be able to change because He's perfect in everything that He is. So that's a good quote from Hodge. The next section here is God's plan of redemption is unchangeable. John six thirty seven. Who wants to read that? Who hasn't read yet? All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Yeah. This is this is an interesting section of scripture, um, and this point that I have below it kind of explains that the Father has given Jesus has given Jesus an elect group of people, and when this group of people come to Christ, He will not cast them out. So that's what this is talking about: that God has given Jesus and and a group of people, and they all are going to come to Jesus Christ for redemption. That's um, that's that's something that's that's very comforting to me. It's something that to know that um, it's not just based on on me, like all this weight of of 
you know, kind of taking God's fingers and wrapping them around me and hoping to not ever let go of them and fall out of his hand, you know, that it's all based on my um, decisions and the things that, that I have to do in order to earn his favor, right? It's not, I don't have that heavy load on me. I know that God, um, his perfect plan has been set forth in my life and he's going to see it through. Uh, that's something that's very reassuring. And I've got a quote from Thomas Watson here. Thomas Watson. Does anybody want to read this quote from Thomas Watson? This is just kind of reiterates this point that we just made. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, go ahead. If God's decree be eternal and unchangeable, then God does not elect upon our faith foreseen, as the Armenians maintain. The children be not yet born, but the purpose of God according to election might stand. It was said, Jacob have I loved, Esau I have hated. We are not elect for holiness, but to holiness. If we are not justified for our faith, much less are we elected for our faith, but we are not justified for it. We are said to be justified through faith as an instrument in Ephesians 2.8, but not for faith as a cause. And if not justified for faith, then much less upon faith foreseen, as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. They were not elected because they believed, but they believed because they were elected. Yeah, and this is an, uh, this is an important point because one of the things that he's talking about, especially up here at the beginning of this quote, where he's talking about Arminians maintained um, that, that, that God does not elect upon our faith foreseen. Uh, that's an Arminian doctrine. Uh, we haven't covered Arminianism entirely, but we will when we get to the so sovereignty of God, but I'll give you a little bit of uh, preview on what he's talking about here so you'll understand what he's saying. What he's, what he's saying here is uh, the Arminian view is that God looks through the corridors of time and he sees certain people in history um, that make a decision for Christ and then he says, oh, I'm going to elect them because what they've done. That's the Armenian view. What that does is it causes God to change, right? It causes God to learn. It causes God to discover something. And it ceases God's sovereignty of, over, over who he is. If he looks through the corridors of time and discovers things, it makes God mutable. It makes God changing. Um, and so that's why Tom, that's why that Thomas Watson here is saying, you know, he's talking about the immutability of God, and he's saying God isn't like that, right? Because if God was like that, then our faith would be a work, right? Faith would have to be a work. It would have to be something that we had to do in order to be saved. And he's saying that's not what salvation's about. God saves you and then you have faith. He, faith is a gift from God. God gives you faith. It's not because you had it and you, it dwelled up inside of you and you was able to, you know, oh, I have faith in God on my own, right? And then God discovers that at some, some point in history and looking through the corridors of time. And so that's what that Thomas Watson's talking about here because he's saying God is perfect. And if he's perfect, his plans are perfect. And if his plans are perfect, he's not going to change anything, right? So, um, and we'll get to some of this um, 
a lot deeper when we get to uh, the sovereignty of God. We'll actually get into some of the Arminian teachings, and because this it's a pretty um, this word Arminianism is is something that a lot of people are familiar with, but a lot of people aren't real familiar familiar with what they actually teach and believe. So we've got about five minutes. We can jump into this a little bit. Understanding understanding the immutability of God in prayer. I think this is an important section. I think this is a really important important section. So I've got a quote here from Stephen Charnock. Who wants to read that quote? What comfort would it be to pray to a God that, like a chameleon, changed colors every day, every moment? Yeah. That wouldn't be very comforting, would it? If God was like a, a chameleon and he... He just changed his mind, changed his colors from time to time. It wouldn't be, why would, it, why would we pray to a God like that? Why would we pray to a God who changes, right? Because we don't, we wouldn't, um, we couldn't really truly expect him to ever answer any of our prayers if he, if he just changed all the time, changed his mind, changed who he is, changed his view of who who we are, um, that wouldn't be very comforting. So it's understanding that God is fixed in who He is, and and He's immutable and unchangeable in who He is. Uh, it it reassures us in even in our prayers that we're praying to a God who's perfect, and this God, He isn't going to change who He is no matter what uh, we're praying about. So in other words, if we're praying about something that's wrong, <laughs> how many people have, have ever prayed? something that was wrong. <laughs> I know I have in the past. Um, probably still do. You know, I don't know. But um, but God, He isn't going to, you know, it's kind of, I, I see it like, you know, a, a child wants to run out into the road and play, you know, but the parent will grab them because they know that's not good for the child and pull them back. And that's the way that God is in prayer. He's not going to give us something that's going to harm us. He's not going to answer our prayers that, in a way that hurts us, right? That causes harm to us. And so, because he's working all things out for us. So, I've got a question that says, If God is immutable, why do we ask him to do things for us when we pray? Be a good question to end the night. Why do we ask God to do things for us when we pray if God is unchangeable, immutable? One thing we should be asking in our prayers for God's will be done. And also, um, we know that we don't know how to pray the way that we should and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us so that even if we do ask for something we shouldn't, in both of those cases we're covered, that God will do what he needs to do because he loves us and because it's the right thing for us. Yeah, that's a good point. Absolutely. So, um, Moses uh, and God is angry with the Israelites because they worship the idol, the cow, and but Moses intercedes for Israelites and and God receives his anger on Israelites. So. At that point, we don't know what exactly happened, but it was God's anger wants to destroy the Israelites at that time. At one point, it was said that, and it, he receives because Moses interceded for them. So, yeah. it's, did he change his plan? Maybe not, or, <laughs> you know, it's kind of 
<laughs> Part of his plan that Moses would intercede. Yeah. Yep. Because he knew Moses' heart. Same way with Abraham. Mm -hmm. You know? He's, oh, he didn't destroy Sodom. All those people. Is there anybody good there? God gave him a chance to reveal his heart. Yeah. You know? He gave him that chance to, you know? That's so. right. That's right. God's teaching lessons in these things, right? Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's what he's doing. He's um, he wants a relationship with us. Don't ask me why. <laughs> <laughs> that would be part of it is a conversation, mm -hmm. you know, and, and just communicating with him. And then, as I think, you know, when it says he gives us the desires of our heart, I think that's literal. He changes the desires of our heart to match his will. Yeah, <coughs> but yeah. that can only happen through. A relationship, yeah, over time, and we're slow learners most of the time. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, God never forces us to do things. And when we look at Nineveh and Jonah, <laughs> <laughs> you see this. You know, he put him in that position, and he wouldn't let him go. <laughs> because again, yeah. it was Jonah needed to learn that lesson. Same way with Job. You know, we. Same way with Joseph. I mm -hmm. mean, jo Joseph didn't ask to be sold into slavery. Yeah. He didn't ask for that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. What interesting stories that we have and all through Scripture, you know, stuff like that, that God is, he's, he's not only showing the individual these things that, that have to go through it, but he's showing us things as well. And we've talked about how that he talks to us also in anthropomorphic language in ways that we can understand. And so when he talks about how he's angry, he, that he regrets that he makes man, that he made man, or, you know, just like Jacob was talking about, or Sodom and Gomorrah, all these different things, we understand that he's, he's trying to show us how serious that, out, that, that, that things are, how, how critical that that this lesson for us is it's so critical that we should i mean we can we can get that we can say oh i understand what it what it is to regret <laughs> i can understand what it is to say you know to tell your you know everybody's made empty promises to their child when you're angry at them you know you've told your child you're going to do something and you but you're trying to to show them how serious you know i'm going to beat you black and blue boy or whatever you say you know <laughs> You won't, you're not going to truly do that, Did right? Did he actually do it? <laughs> <laughs> right. You want to know the truth. Don't tell me. <laughs> I don't want to have to repeat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we want to we want them to understand the seriousness of the nature of what they've done, right? Yeah. And so that's one of the things that God does by showing us things in scripture like that. I mean, he shows us how serious that that these things truly are. And I think also when we go through difficult times, I mean, it's hard for for man to think about it during the midst of the storm. But if we just look back at the scripture is, is to realize we are trusting God. He has a plan and a purpose and he will work it out for our good. I mean, it may not be the, the ending we think it should be, but it will be for our spiritual good in the yeah. end. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's, that's eternity. Yes. Yeah. I think this is the, one of the things that has always 
and in which you know possess that it, why, are, why are we praying if God is sovereign and he's unchanging then what why are we praying and so that's always something that's really <clears throat> just I've always had that question and then you would always told, tell me because God commanded us to pray and um, that was always your answer <laughs> Short <and sweet. laughs> but even going back to I mean, even even Jesus prayed and so I think that more than anything that I look to Jesus because he wasn't going to change God's mind, but even he was praying, Father, not my will, but you be done. But he was saying, let this cup pass from me. He was praying for that to happen, even though it wasn't going to happen. But I think it's more, I think like Brandon's in this last Sunday about prayer, and, and it's really for us, it's to change what, to make our will, his, or make his will our will. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where I've had to get you know, from it because we're not going to change his mind. Yeah. And he already knows what's going to happen, but it's more to align us up with what he wants for our lives. Yeah, that's a relationship. Yeah. That's one of the main reasons. Yeah, there's a lot. There's really a lot, you know, to, to why that, that we pray. One of the things is, you know, that God ordained the prayers, the means in which that he, he interacts with his people, right? He, he's ordained that. And so, you're right. It's it's showing that relationship. It's showing you know we're pouring out who we are to God. We're 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 laying we're casting our cares upon our God, and we're putting things in His hands. You know, you're you're God. You can answer these things, or, or you may not. And just um, or or as you guys say, He answers, and that just maybe no. <laughs> so yeah, which is which is exactly right. Um, yeah, it's still an answer. So. But it does it, it it does change us. Prayer changes us. It, it it this is God's will. This is our will, right? What does prayer do? It helps us to start doing this, and we start getting aligned with what it is that God's will is for our lives. What He's wanting us to do, instead of being uh, out of whack, you know, prayer it's like an alignment. Take him take your car and get it, you know, it's out of balance, right? So prayer gets us in line where where we need to be. That's one of the things that it does. But it's good that he ordained the way that that prayer is the way that we do this thing, these things. It's the way that God he has as as I has told Nikki, he has commanded that we do that. Um, and but that is a good thing. That's the way what he has ordained, so that we can grow and we can mature and we can um, know him because. Um, I think through prayer we we even understand more of of God's character and the way that that He works, um, because sometimes it's through answer prayer and sometimes it's through no. Right. Um, well, and James says you have not because you ask not, or you and you ask and do not have because you ask with the wrong motives. You know, so there's a ton wrapped up in that as well. You know, do we miss? Um, blessing because we're not asking God. Yeah, that's right. You that's know, right. It sounds like it. Yeah. yeah. So there's an interplay, uh, you know, our relationship with Him. So there is. Yeah. Something else. I know we're running out of time, but there's there's a kind of a big topic. But um, something else I think that prayer does is it shows our dependence upon God. Right. It shows our weakness in that we are depending on Him on his strength on on everything on all that he is we're depending on him and so us praying to god it's kind of be us being humble 
is teaching us humil humility before our Creator, before the God who who created all things, and it shows it, what it does is it strengthens that relationship that we have uh, between ourselves and God. So, even looking back on prayer and seeing how God is, has worked in it, yeah. is, is such a lesson. It is. Recently, as Don and I were helping the Bartons, and we earnestly in prayer, we. She took him up to uh, Eckhart to, you know, give him into assisted living, and it didn't work out. And we were so disappointed. We were thinking next day he's got to, to act on this. Well, in the meantime, other things took place. That was not the place that they were supposed to be. That was not the help that they needed. And John and I were talking. It's just like it's so wonderful to see how God is working in this to help them, and how we're we're learning just to trust in Him because we don't know. Right what's going on. We don't know everything. So knowing that we trust in Him to make it right out of our love for Him is, is, is good. Yeah. And yeah. To look back on that and see it happening yeah. so quickly is really, really wonderful. It really is. Yeah. It really is. Well, I'm done talking. Does anybody else have any, any points just to wrap things up?